With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season nine of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and my special guest this week is a coach that I had the pleasure of meeting many years ago at National Clay Courts, I think is the first place we met, and we've run across each other over the years. Last time I saw Coach Z was at National Hard Courts down in San Diego last summer, but we stay in touch. And now that I'm a West Coast girl, too, um, we thought this would be a great time to do another podcast together. So I'm going to bring Zebu Nube. I say your name wrong every time, but <laughs> you say your last name, Zebu, because uh, with your Zibu, accent. It's- you're right, Zebu Nube. But uh, if you had to pronounce it like from... Africa Zibu Nube. So good luck. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> I, I practiced, but yeah, it just doesn't roll off as well as when you say it. So welcome back to the podcast. It's great oh, to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you. And thank you for having me. Of course. So we're recording this the Friday before finals weekend of the U.S. Open 2020, the COVID Open, if you will. Yes. (laughs) It's been a crazy couple weeks. Um, I just got back from a socially distanced outdoors Pilates class and I'm getting ready to go play tennis. Awesome. 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 (laughs) So hence the hair. But um, no, no, not a problem. I'm just actually just stepped in from a tennis court. Uh, and uh, there go. got a chance to chat. So excuse my situation too. <laughs> no worries, no worries. So the title of this episode is How Do You Know You're Good Enough? And what I really wanted to talk to you about and have you kind of share your philosophy around is this notion of when a junior player knows they're good enough to play college tennis and good enough to go pro, and you've worked with players across the spectrum, junior players, college players, professional players, and you've worked with them all along their pathways, um, come in and out of working with players. You have so much experience and I love your approach to junior development. So let's just jump right in. Sounds good. I would say, yes, uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with, uh, develop some players uh, from, you know, the junior level, going to elite college uh, uh, programs. Also, some players uh, who skipped the college program going into the pro event. And uh, there are different stages in the developmental uh, process where a player starts to show potential for each uh, arena and arena being uh, the professional uh, circuit or being ready to play at uh, college level, division one, 
or you know some division two and three um, uh, uh, collegiate uh, programs. I would say that by gender, it's a little bit different for the guys and mm. and, and the ladies. Uh, a window for for the for women, you can tell if someone has potential to go pro at an earlier age than the guys. Probably they say age 13, 12, 13, 14 should be a rude awakening to see where the potential for the ladies is going. Uh, for that the guys, young, huh? That I'm young? Sorry? That young? Yeah, pretty pretty young. The, the window is a little bit different for guys and 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 than than and and ladies. So um, with, with 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 the in the guys section, I would say age 17, 18, or late 16 is a good cue of level of performance, whether yeah. you, you have what it takes to immediately go professional or it's better for you to at least uh, take the stepping stone into co college tennis and eventually, if you're ready enough to go to, 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 to uh, the pro circuit. Which, you know, then leads me to believe that for all junior boys, they better get on the recruiting path just in case, right? Absolutely. So because you really need to start reaching out to coaches, developing your recruiting profile and all that, at least by ninth grade, um, just to get the process started. So you're saying for the boys, if if you can't make that determination until they're a bit older, mm -hmm. they need to already get some things going in terms of college tennis, just in case they're not meeting those milestones. Yes, absolutely. I would say that's... Uh, uh, that is a must, especially if you are from the U.S. Hmm. Uh, it's a little bit different. For example, I spent quite a considerable amount of time training players in Spain. Hmm. And, and I learned a lot about in the European culture. They're not so much, most of the players are focusing on either turning professional if, uh, and there is a, a a good group who are also looking to come to college in the in the, in the U.S. Their approach is slightly unique. Is the fact is that they play a lot of tournaments. They're focusing on really improving, and they're fortunate enough by that certain age that they have a pretty high world junior ranking mm. that they become attractive to the top tier col uh, colleges or colleges in general. Uh, you would see this. Uh, college coaches in the junior grand slams looking for that type of caliber talent. So they may skip that stage of starting to create that profile early, but the, the uh, top tier colleges will be scouting for them, uh, the, the, top, the top juniors. Interesting. So let's talk specifics. What are the things that you as a coach are looking to see in a junior who is considering the professional path, either in lieu of college tennis or after playing college tennis? Uh, and, and let's start with the girls because you have a player that you work with off and on who made that decision to skip college and turn pro very early. Yes. Uh, Katrina, uh, Katrina Scott. I would say it's kind of, 
when I first met Katrina, that was last year, 2018 in February. Uh, and I met her through a close friend and we actually, Katrina lives really close to me. She lives right. less than uh, two miles from my house. Uh, <laughs> but we had never really met and uh, we never really knew each other. Uh, but I did a little research uh, through the coaches community about Katrina and a, a lot of guys had a lot of good stuff to say. And obviously when uh, go Googling just the name, I, I saw she had quite a, a good stellar resume uh, as, a, as a top junior. Uh, then, um, so meeting, let's say she was 14 at she that was, time, She right? was 14 at the time. And okay. she was, uh, you know, when I met them, their goal was, they, their objective was to go to college, you know, uh, at least from what they were telling me. Uh, and I got a chance to hit with her for about five to 10 minutes. Uh, I knew there are things that she could work on again uh, that could make her professional. So when I did say that to her that, well, you're gonna go pro, her eyes lit up. And uh, she, I think more than anything, she needed to hear somebody who believed in her. Uh, what did you see that made you say that? At she, 14. At 14, she, she pays attention differently. She looks you in the eye when you're talking to her. You can see the hunger and the want uh, and the, her dreams just looking at her. I've been fortunate enough to work with players who have taken to that level and uh, to uh, Grand Slams uh, to where I saw someone who understood that language, even if she did not know that she understood the language. There's an ability to pick up on certain things and, and, and see the, the connection between your work and your dreams. And she clearly had that. Uh, what was just lacking was good direction. She has a good coaching system. She has uh, you know, consistency in, in the right things. She didn't lack consistency, but she had consistency in the right things. She was going to start going through that path, which she was going to raise, um, uh, raise some raise some heads. Uh, what I I recall telling her in that first week when I started working with her was that I wanted her to enter tournaments that she is not guaranteed to win. So basically what the thing was, I'm not saying you're not going to win a tournament, but from now on, you're going to play against uh, a caliber of athlete that you could lose in the first round or you could win the tournament, but it's going to create that culture in your mindset, like the pros. If you look at the pros, they're players who are in the top 20, uh, ATP or WTA, who might not have had one title the entire year but they are used to playing at that high level consistently. She clearly had the size, she had the mentality, and she had the will, willingness to push her game to the next level. Even at age 14? Age 14. She was very mature for her age, uh, and she had the skill sets uh, and just needed some refining and polishing to put to gel all that stuff together for her to go to the pros. And, you know, I met Katrina and her parents and saw you last summer in San Diego at National Hard Courts. And it was my first opportunity to see her play and to talk to her. I was struck by her maturity 
and her focus on the court. Yes. And it was fun to stand with you while she played and just, you know, I just stood there and I watched you and I watched her and I heard you talk to her parents and, you know, it's, it, it was a a very eye opening experience for me to just kind of observe what happens. Yes. Uh, Yes. I I recall something similar too when uh, at us open uh, with Tristan. So there was a chance that you were there and you were right behind me at the time I was with Tristan and uh, Wolfgang Oswald, who's a trainer for quite a number of guys on the Pro Tour, uh, and Henrik Roswald. So that was also a good experience. It, I mean, it's fun, and I, I'm not traveling as much anymore. Uh, I'm training from my house, uh, but you know, one area of the game that I do miss was the touring part and uh, traveling with players and really building the player uh, on, on uh, from inside out and. You look at that scenario with Katrina. It was, you know, a defining moment for her, because she had, we had gone through a good run of tournaments. She was getting uh, noticed uh, by the uh, USDA. Uh, she started to get wild cards. She got a chance to play world team tennis. Uh, had a good run at Wimbledon and uh, got a good run at, uh, at I think a 25k women's future or 15k, uh, if, if I recall. And then she played girls 18s and went all the way to the semifinals so that was also a huge opportunity for her because that took her to the next stage she got a chance to be exposed and mind you this is less than eight months working with her so all these things have happened for her i told her from the first week that you're going pro and eight months eight you know months later she now gets a first wild card into the ladies qualifying U.S. Open, and which where she also won uh, a match. And prior to that, she had also got a wildcard to the San Jose event uh, mm-hmm. uh, two weeks earlier, and she had a very good uh, match with Tamir Barbosa and lost nine, I think it was seven, six in the third set. Really hard fought battle. So that was an eye-opener. You're only 14 turning 15, uh, and you're already taking, you know, top 100 WTA players to three sets. That I think that's when the uh, her family started to really lock into saying, mm, maybe we can flirt with this idea of going pro. Yeah. What was interesting too, meeting her parents was her mom is the tennis parent. Her dad yes. is the support, right? And, yes. Front um, office and back office. It's the way yeah. they put it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they couldn't be more different in their personalities. Dad is so laid back and easy. And, you know, mom is very organized and focused. And it, it was it was eye opening for me. So so let's fast forward to 2020. You know, we're in this crazy pandemic, and all of a sudden, a few days before what two days before the bubble closed, Katrina gets noticed that she's been offered a wild card because yes. people have pulled out of the event. Mm-hmm. How do you and I know she had made a move to Ohio and and she was working with some other coaches, but you're still involved in her development and her coaching. How do you get a child, I mean, because let's remember, 16, she's a, a child. Yes. How do you get her mind and her 
psyche ready to go compete in the main draw of the U.S. Open. She had gotten a Qualies wild card prior, but now she's in the main draw. Main draw. I'd say this. In this in this situation, and I got the call from Katrina. She's excited. I got looking at my phone. I got a missed call from Katrina. I call out right in my uh, the last lesson, and she's excited. See, boy, I got the wild card to the U.S. Open, so we're celebrating. This This makes my day, makes my week, my month. Finally, 2020 is breaking through for some good. And, um, you know, I would say she, Katrina did well in October last year. And this was more or less the last time I kind of worked with her. Um, she did well and got to the semifinals from the qualifying rounds in the Malibu 25K. And this is when she made the decision to go uh, a professional. Uh, when she signed uh, to go uh, on tour, um, there was a great uh, uh, you know, facility out in, in, in Ohio. They really focused on polishing up the strokes. She really needed time to, to polish certain areas of the game. And she stepped into the right place at the right time because, you know, these are people who can dedicate, uh, you know, seven to eight hours on a day. That I could not provide. At best, I could only do two or three uh, with her. So, and she needed to kink up the sun and polish some strokes on the forehand. So that was, uh, you know, really refreshing. And you have to understand, as a coach, you always want to see your players do well. And usually when you... A, a player goes to another uh, facility to train and you know your player really well, you always see something you could have done better. For mm. the very first time in a long time, and it's been a long time, I it was refreshing. And I text my agent, I was like, Sam, this is just phenomenal. I just, she just came back a, mo- a month and a half later. They, you've done a good job. Keep it up. Keep tell the team on that side they're doing a phenomenal job. I'm happy with what's going on over there. And Katrina had, did not play uh, a tournament. She didn't play Junior Australian uh, Orange Ball. Didn't play uh, Junior Australian Open. She was getting geared to start playing tournaments. I'm sure in early uh, uh, of the year she has already turned professional. And um, you know, if you l- really look at it, Katrina had not played a professional event in 11 months. Wow. into the U.S. Open. Uh, wow. <laughs> she was, I know she was looking forward to the national hard courts so that she can at least go deep in that one and hopefully win the, 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 the wild card. But she mm-hmm. didn't get a wild card. And there's a little disappointment in not getting that wild card. And, you know, you're looking at it like, okay, fine, I'm young. Uh, uh, but I really wanted a wild card. I didn't get a wild card. You kind of have to think like you're moving forward. But I would say in that situation, there was more relief that I got a wild card. Come on. And the preparation to get into tournament mode is a lot easier than if it were the other way around. So that's uh, I think that her getting into the right mindset to go play was more of the, uh, you know, the pressure is privilege. And this is an opportunity. There was a there was huge excitement, and she was clearly ready to seize the moment and be ready to take advantage of that. 
And she won her first match. She won her first match and super close in the second one. Yeah. You know, there are lessons in victories and losses. Uh, and and the next stage, you know, she with a few more opportunities of this caliber, she's going to learn how to take those uh, uh, matches, you know, decided by one or two points. Yeah. I mean, playing Amanda Anasimova in the second round, Amanda is another young American. Yes. She's a couple years older than Katrina, but she's kind of been in the shadows a little bit. Coco came on the scene and, you know, she's the young one everybody talks about. Yeah. Katrina is basically the same age as mm -hmm. Coco, yes. but nobody had really heard her name prior to the U.S. Open. And it was very interesting to listen to the commentators. And, you know, they were starting to learn who she was. And, yes, yes, yes. you know, the viewers are starting to learn who she is. How do you prepare a player to deal with the notoriety, the interest, the, you know, the media stuff, all of that? Because, that's all part of being a professional player. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's always trying to keep the values in check. Stay grounded. You know, integrity is a big part of it. Um, I recall, you know, our last talk when I say new level, new, de uh, new level, new devil. So, you know, at first you're humble by some losses you're humbled by you know the journey then you get to a certain level and when you get to that level challenges come in a different form you know before you were probably playing and there were no ball kids there was no empires you're at the bottom of the court in Decatur, illinois somewhere to fighting to just get a few points and next thing you're in the spotlight and you're expected to you know, uh, you know, react or perform a certain way, and you are learning along the way. And you, some players are going to make mistakes, uh, but I, I think the key thing is when you have a strong team and you have a good, strong family uh, uh, background that's out there to support you and and, and at least keep your values in check. Um, it, it that is still not easy, but it 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 goes a long way. It really helps, and you you learn to 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 fit into that new uh, version um, and expectation uh, in, in, a, in a classier way. Right. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the men's side now. Um, so you said at the beginning of this conversation that for boys, it's a lot different in terms of knowing if you should go the college route or go the mm -hmm. pro route, mm -hmm. even knowing if you should go you know, strive for the top level division one programs or, you know, step down to maybe mid-major D2, a lower level D3. Um, so what are some of the things that you as a coach look for to help guide the boys in terms of which pathway they should take, which fork in the pathway I should say they should take? Yeah. Um for me, it's I, I really don't think it's that uh, complicated on my view. Fortunately, because I've had a chance to see all levels uh, of of tennis, and as you're developing, you also are going to be exposed to certain tournaments that are going to give you a chance to see how you handle certain skill sets, skill levels, and pressures. 
So, for example, it's something I haven't really spoken to anybody. There's uh, a young man who's doing well, and I talk to his mom on a regular basis. His name is Brandon Nakashima. Mm. And Brandon went to Virginia. Yes. Uh, and he didn't do as In the middle of the year. In the he went in January. Exactly. Middle of the yeah. year, January, uh, he went to Virginia. Uh, and if you asked me at the time what he should have done, which I was asked, I was one of the few guys who said he should go pro straight. Mm. Uh, Why? Because first and foremost... He's made top 10 juniors in the world. That's one. Two, he's won the junior masters. Very few people ever get a chance to do that. Uh, three, he has the foundation, the strokes. He's learned to work with the team. You know, Brandon is not one of those young players who only play tennis with one player. He learned how to work with a coach, a trainer. These are things that the professional players are exposed to. So he had already been in doing it for since he was probably age 13, 14. So going to college might have been a little, I'm not saying uh, it would have been a different transition because mm -hmm. you have been raised in more of a professional setting. Your results are at par of a professional player. Uh, you're winning junior masters. There's basically the best player at the junior in the world. Uh, at least one of the top two, three. Uh, then you know, you're clearly performing at a very elite level and handling, hitting the ball at the same quality level as a top 100, top 150 ATP player at age 17, turning 18. That, that's a sign. That's, this guy has potential of making pro. Agents, for example, will be running after you. Uh, they want to sign you. They want to do this. But, you know, he did go to college and going to college was great experience and very important experience, I think for him, but I advised against it simply because he's not six, 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 five. He's not going to be winning cheap points with a big serve. Uh, he has to learn to earn each point in a calculated manner. So going for his size, going to college would make life a lot tougher to adapt to that ball speed later on down the line. Now, if he was a little bit taller and he could get 30 to, um, you know, 24 to 30 cheap points a, a match against any player in the world, he could go to college and, and he still would have been pretty fine even if he completed four years in, in college. But uh, given his size, he really needed to get used to the, to the ball, learn how to win points with his body size, it'd be calculated. And he's doing extremely well, by the way, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really proud of him. Why was it easy to to pick on, on, on Brandon? It's easy. I mean, anybody can say now, but I was saying it before. It's because just the track record, what he did in this last year as a junior and the caliber of players he was, he was beating, these kids all turned pro and are also doing pretty well. You know, Yannick Sinner is another good example, an mm -hmm. Italian kid who's doing well. I would advise for him to go pro even when he was 17, 18, and he's doing well. He's top, he's probably 16 in the world right now. Uh, so th when you have that caliber player, you look at college more as a tougher situation for them to eventually turn pro because they already have the tool and that window to 
see that ball at top 50, top 100 ATP, starts to close and it mm -hmm. takes years to try and catch up to that, to that ball. Uh, that's another scenario. Then there are some players who also could be top 20, top 30 ITF, but they don't have, uh, they haven't matured uh, yet. Well, and that's what I was getting ready to ask you because Brandon, I don't know him. I've interviewed him, but you know, I can't say that I know him as a person, but his, the, the demeanor that he gives off is one that's very calm, mm -hmm. very focused. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have these explosive outbursts on the court. You know, he's just kind of goes about his business. Um, and I'm wondering how that factors into your opinion on whether a, a boy is ready to turn pro versus go the college route. Yeah, I, I, there are some players who got a similar mental attributes, but they don't perform at that level. So, so you have both. Yes, I would say, you know, you have to have a combination of, 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 of things. Uh, for example, if I took it extreme, I recall playing Davis Cup against uh, Novak Djokovic. He was about age 16. And I, when I saw him, I knew this guy was going to be top three in the world. Uh, he was probably ranked in the top 150 ATP. He was 17. Wow. His level of performance was already so high. And a good friend of mine from Zimbabwe, who had just won the NCAA, so he's a top-ranked collegiate player, lost to him. And you're the best college player, and you're losing to the, a 16-year-old. You figure the performance. And I'm not going to say Novak was as calm and collected as Brandon, but yeah. Novak's level just was his level. And yeah. it wouldn't make sense for him to go to college when he's already beating the best player in college at 16. Yeah. So usually when you have that uh, caliber uh, skill sets, it's important you see those windows. And mind you, at that time, Novak was financially in a tough situation. He was looking for sponsors. Mm. And he, I, I, I even recall at a dinner, the Davis Cup dinner, where there was, the, the team was considering uh, having him change to the British citizenship because his close friends with Andy Murray and because his great-grandparents or something had been in England before. And, th and this, I'm looking at the kid where I'm saying he's going to be probably top three in the world. Uh, and, okay, he's now one, but he, I, you could just tell that his skill sets are solid enough to make it professionally. Now, mm -hmm. would he have... Would, do I think if Novak Djokovic went to college, would have been number one in the world? No, but I think he still have been a top 100 player. But him deciding to go pro at an early age, having those skill sets, exceptional skill sets, allowed him to take his game to a top 10 level uh, game. Even though... At at a young age, and even once he was starting to really waves on the tour, mentally he still had a lot of issues. Well, even as we saw this past week, so um, you know, yes. sometimes keeping the anger under control is a challenge. But yes. yeah, but but you're saying his tennis skill was so good yes. that yes. you knew that he 
he was going to fix the rest of it. Exactly. I mean, you you got good foot speed. You can handle the, uh, a, a big man's ball. You can redirect the ball. There's so many areas of the game that you need to be able to neutralize. And if you can neutralize those situations and you can learn that at an early age, 16, 17, 18, 19, you leap forward. And it's, it's, that takes a lot of years for people to get to. Sure, sure. So in terms of, you know, American boys that are contemplating the Pro Tour, um, you know, but also may have some fantastic college opportunities, what are, you know, what are you guiding? How are you guiding them? What are you saying to them to say, these are the things you need to achieve for me to, as your coach, to say absolutely turn pro or absolutely you need to go to college for at least a year and let's see what happens? Yes. Uh, I would say if you are at blue chip, I think top, uh, top tier. Top uh, 25. Yeah, top 25 uh, junior at age 16. Mm-hmm of 15 and you can beat blue chips of age 18 17 you have a chance to push your level up before you can think going pro you have to be at least a year or two you know younger Mm. to try and take care of that window to before you decide that college is not the you're going to jump uh, the college level. Mm. Uh, if you're a top-tier player, blue chip, in the U.S., I'd also encourage that you get the opportunity to play international events. That way you compare yourself amongst your age group. So one way I look at it, and this is my only way, is I don't. I look at the year you were born in. So if... For example, a few guys, a good year group would have been the year group of the 88, right? You got probably Sam Query, you got Gamorfis, you got Novak Djokovic, you got Andy Murray. Look at all that high, the top level players that came in the same year. When did all these guys get to know each other? Did they start knowing each other at age 12, age 13, 14, 15? Because you push each other to right. the next level. If you're amongst that top-tier group that's doing extremely well, it's going to tell you a lot. Four of my friends who I can beat, and they beat me sometimes, but we, they win Wimbledon, I win French Open, but we are also winning some challengers. There's a high chance you're going to make it professionally. You kind of follow that group. But you could also be the second stream of that year group. Mm. You could be the guy who is in the top 15, but you're not yet... Uh, in the top 10 of that group of player, maybe you are s- six months to a year behind. And if that's the case, we're looking at a situation where you have to consider uh, college, top tier college, uh, unless things change. And uh, I, I have seen, and I've been surprised, and I have to say this, I've seen some of the second tier uh, 2000 kids who end up eventually rising to the level, make decisions to go professional, and have won some ATP events. 
So, but it, I would not have advised them to mm -hmm. go uh, straight to the pros. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, Maximilian Wild is an ex example of the Brazilian uh, player in 2000. Mm -hmm. If you face with Felix, Felix was always ahead of the class, but he went on to win an ATP event before. Um, I would have, if I were to advise, I would say, try a year or two in college and then go and see if your 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 your, your game is is big enough to go pro uh and he also won uh junior us open 2018 yeah. but i he didn't win it when he was 17 or 16 he won it when he was 18 already so that gap to me was more like mm, you still are not yet good enough to dominate a year or two uh ahead of you so but he's definitely a, a, a player who would have made it in any top uh, college in the U.S. That is my gauge for the guys in terms of who is going to make it pro, uh, has a good chance of making it pro, and who not. But I also factor in a few things. Two things that I, other uh, things that I factor in is finances. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a big one. Going pro is a very expensive uh, business. And in that Situ in that scenario, you have to look at uh, as a, 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 a fact that do you have sponsors? If you have sponsors, okay, that's a good scenario. Is the money coming straight from your family? Is it worth the risk? Because I will advise that your family goes through, uh, your family does definitely uh, spends that money in college before they fo focus that money in, in, in the pro, which is a little bit more of risk. But if you do have sponsors, that could be a different story. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, something I learned, I guess, last year that I didn't know is Stefano Sitsipas was being recruited to go to college. Yes. Yes. He was talking very seriously to coach Manny Diaz at Georgia. I don't know who else he was speaking with. I had no idea that he was being recruited at Georgia. I mean, look at the guy now. Like if he had come to you at age 17, I'll, I'll just say pro. I'll just say pro. Uh, I'm good friends with this other coach, uh, uh, Kalea Baca at Modatoglu. Uh, and, uh, I had a player, Michael Grant. Yeah. He played Stefano Stitzipas. And he did? Stef yes, he played he beat Stefanos in, in Greece. But he's several Michael's several years older. He, Michael's several years older. Yeah. He beat Stefano Stitzipas. Stitzipas was no walk in the park. You know, at age 16, he lost in the finals of the orange ball. Mm. So, you know, if I recall Michael and I even say that kid is going to be special. Uh, little do we know that six months later we'll be playing the guy. Yeah. And uh, yes, we still beat him, but he's older. And you could tell that by age 16, 17, you know, he's just getting into his form. And he really believed he's a good competitor. He's a good fighter. And by 17, 18, yeah, you're on the borderline. You're one of those top tier players, borderline second tier, first tier player. And uh, but you could tell that he has the weapons, he had the size, and he wasn't scared to really attack the ball. If I also recall, Reinich was being recruited. 
He nearly mm-hmm. went to Virginia. Right. So, right. so there are some players who took that bold move of going pro and it worked out. We, we might not hear some stories of some players who took bold moves and it didn't work out in the pros. Uh, but uh, these guys, uh, I, I still would have said the one thing that do, does stand is obviously ways your skill set at that age, but your work ethic. If you want mm-hmm. to go pro, you have to be committed to that game. You really have to train. You have really have to pay attention to detail. And you also have to be fortunate enough to have a team built around you. And that's one mistake that occurs is most players, they go, they turn professional blindfold. Mm. That means uh, when I mentioned about, about having uh, your finances in order, having sponsors, you want to have a trainer. You want to have a traveling coach. You want to also have a, a second-tier traveling coach. So where you sh- somebody shares their traveling schedule with you. Uh, you want to ha- obviously have a headquarters where you can train and reset and then go back on the, on, on the tour. It's, it's no you know, walk in the park. It's not just turning pro yeah. means success. It's, you really have to have the right structure and the right uh, uh, people around you because, you know, each stage you're – learning to beat professionals you're not learning to beat amateurs now you're playing people who are committed to the game you know the entire day right you know one one question came up recently that i thought was very interesting and i'd never considered and that was how many of these pro players have an actual business plan that they've sat down and you know thought about um one year out, five years out, 10 years out, how am I going to finance things? You know, who who am I going to be paying? How much am I going to be paying them? How am I going to earn the money to make that happen? Is it going to be through sponsors or through prize money or, you know, endorsements or a combination of all three? And very few of the players actually have these business plans. They just yeah. kind of make the decision to turn pro and go out and all of a sudden they're out of money and then it becomes kind of a sad situation. Absolutely. It's a, and that becomes a structural issue. Uh, you, I've been fortunate to hang out in Spain a little bit and watch these guys who make it. And they have, they play uh, with Carino, uh Boosters in the in the semifinals. Yeah, he's not that type of player that if he was born and raised in the U.S., people would know about. He's not going to make it, but he has a chance to make it in in Spain because he works hard. Doesn't have the most magical weapons, but he just plays with discipline. There is a culture there that rewards discipline. Yes, and it rewards discipline in a different format. You play. You you love the game. You play, how do you finance yourself? You play club teams. Right. So you, if you are 900 in the world, maybe you make 1,000 uh, euros uh, a match. You are top 500, you make 4,000. So these guys are able to have a good three, four months where they can accumulate you know, uh, some money that can finance their passion. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they're playing quality matches. So not only are they getting good practice, matches but they're also getting paid to get good practice matches that structure is in play i also don't think they had a great business plan they just inherited a structure that could help them pursue their dreams 
and with these with these uh, team uh, matches, the player can afford to hire a coach, uh, work at, at and get use the, fac the facilities for free. Whichever club he works for, get some good hitting partners, and he advances and advances until he doesn't need to play uh, uh, club tennis anymore because he's now in a top 50 ATP player. He can uh, self finance, and it, it's it, then that. Baton is passed on to the next to the next. Right. But when we look at here in the U.S., we don't have any structures of that nature. If Unless you have endorsements for upwards of a million two, you are, that's not the best decision to make. To yeah, go. you're struggling. You're struggling because the last thing you want to do is worrying about where you're going to sleep tonight right. if, you know, after this match. Uh, there's no way you're going to be able to compete uh, with players who, who have, you know, a set base and a set structure. Yeah. And, you know, forget 10-year plan, but by yeah. two years, that, that yeah. cycle would have coughed you up. Right. And it's a shame because, as you and I both well know, the margin between number 10 in the world and number 150 in the world is teeny tiny. Even between number 10 and number 300, Absolutely. the margin is very small. Yes, yes. And I always say that it's, the margin is so small. But this margin is the difference between two years' worth of work uh, or four years' worth of work. Mm. There's a reason, for example, we see the same players winning the grasslands. Yeah. You know, why? The, but... You not know, this what? year, not at the U.S. Not, Open. Not, not this, not this year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. The change is going, it's changed. But if you did really look at the whole skeptic and you and we trailed down to see how Nadal, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic's uh, budget and team is assembled, right. very few people have that type of resource to manage three, six people around them. 24-7 around the clock. And they understand all they need to do is win 51% of the points and they'll be fine. So by the time he's waking up in the morning, he's winning that 0.01%, 0.02, 0 0.03, because they're doing the right things consistently, 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 through routine, routine, routine. And this is how the battle is won at the highest level, at the professional level. Now, mm -hmm. As we trickle down to juniors, if you're under 12 boys, if you happen to have a good growth spurt, you can hit one shot and the other 12-year-olds can't return the ball because they haven't seen a ball that big. And that difference maker is that one big shot. But as the kids start to grow up and age 14, 15, that tactic didn't work anymore. It, it might have worked against you because you got so complacent and comfortable just overpowering people with one shot. Now you have to learn to run, and they've been running for four years. Good luck catching up to those guys because <laughs> the dynamics have changed. Uh, right. On the professional tour, those guys haven't made those mistakes, so they get there, and they are very good at capitalizing on what you and I know, that little bit of margin. They're extremely good at it, so they they really punish that factor. That okay, that guy hasn't had good sleep for two days. Yeah, no way I'm losing to that guy. So they they have experience and they have the ability to keep expanding that 
that that that that that that margin because of that. Well, and I think too, even in the juniors, the margin starts to shrink mm -hmm. the higher up you get in the age groups, right? Absolutely. And you know, in the 12s, there's a huge margin between the top and the mid-level, let's say. But by the time you really get into the 16s and 18s, everybody that's competing at the top tier tournaments is really good. They're fit. They're, you know, they're solid. They, you know, they have a good serve plus one. Their ground strokes are great. They move well, all of these things. And so the margins start to shrink even in the juniors. And exactly. It's yeah, a, it's, a it's a filtering system. So at first you start 500 kids, 400, 300, 200, 100 and that's where the college coaches are going to get those last 100 kids in that tennis uh, recruiting system and 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 you are working your way to stay in that race you know stay in that battle you know one uh, area I did look at I was working with Tristan Boyer who's going to Stanford mm -hmm. uh, University uh, when I started with him I just looked at it and I said okay currently out of all the kids born in 2001 Let's say you are 150 in the world. How are we going to end up being top five in that age range? Mm -hmm. So I had to study the kids before the age 2000s and 99s, so the Dennis Shapovalovs, that before that, 97s, uh, Taylor Fritz's, looked at all those groups, looked at all those groups, saw what they did from age 12 all the way up to 18, and why those guys turned pro. Dennis Shapovalov, same thing all the way to age 18, 2000, Felix Alessime, Kuhn, why they turn? Okay, Tristan, if we're going to get into the top five in the world, we need to be a, or, you know, best player in the world in our age group. We're at 150. What can we do today, tomorrow, making every day count? Yeah. So you keep pushing your way up. And each level, which we're discussing, create different opportunities. You know, at first, no one cares about you. At second stage, it's like, okay, wow, now you get attention from the college uh, coaches. Next thing is, oh, now we're flirting with scenario that we got the top coaches in the world and we got the big endorsement uh, companies fighting for you. So they won't care about you under 12 or under 14, but now that you've reached top 10 in the world juniors, there's a certain type of language that comes with it. So uh, that's why I look at it from that perspective that, as long as you are aware of your group of players, your peers, and you push and you try to end at the very top of that group, if you're fortunate enough to be born in an exceptional year, you are clearly going to be a top-tier pro. You know, if we can look it down from Nadal's age group, Roger Federer's age group, you'd see other guys who are really good tennis players. And, and when did they start to know each other? If you're fortunate enough to be exposed, it's an early mm -hmm. age to certain players. And that's one thing that lacks sometimes in the U.S. Some really good players are not exposed mm -hmm. to the other international players. And those international players could have pushed each other and you would have been part of that group if you're looking at pro. But their structure is excellent to build that top-tier college player. You know, you play super national clays, you play national uh, hard courts. You're going to see the kids who are going to be fighting for that national college uh, championship. They're clearly yeah. there. And you get a chance to grow with these guys. And the higher up 
that ranking, the higher chance you're going to go get to the best schools. Love it. Love it. Zebu, we're coming to the end of our hour, and I know you have to get back on court. If our viewers are interested in getting a hold of you or learning more about what you do, what's the best way for them to do that? I would say I'll probably have to give uh, them my email and okay. also my phone number. I'll, I'll leave that to you. I'll, sh I'll shoot you the phone number. Okay. Uh, and then uh, text is easier for me. And to be all to be honest, I'm working 14 to 13 hours straight a day. Uh, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm going to be trickling down soon. Next year, it's going to slow down a tad bit, fortunately. And I'll be able to at least help out in decision making in what, which direction they're going. And we didn't even say this, but you are located in California, in the L.A. area. And, um, yeah, and we're kind of neighbors now. So even though I haven't seen you since I, I, I was on vacation, here. I was actually on vacation close to I you. Saw. I saw. one day. So I, I know. came through. Yes, I saw like your the, Instagram. Like, yeah. You're living in a nice place, let me say. <laughs> no complaints. No That's complaints. Awesome. Well, Zebu, thanks so much for coming and doing this and taking time out of your crazy busy schedule. Congratulations to Katrina and you and her family and the rest of the team. And I'm so excited to see what's on tap for her. And also to Tristan Boyer and, you know, for him going to Stanford and Hopefully they'll get to play college tennis this year. I know. I know. I, yeah, we're hoping. I mean, it, it's, it's tough times right now. But uh, I know I just talked to Tristan two days ago. I know he was leaving the country. And he's uh, he's, he's in good spirits. And uh, his, his size sounds great. And uh, and I'm also looking forward to see what Katrina has in store. And, and I, I, I bring up those names because they serve as an inspiration to all the other kids who are keeping me busy every day. You know, they, they have they have somebody they can look at and say, OK, there is a blueprint in hard work pays off. And uh, when you have that process, a lot of kids would dream to go to Stanford University. Some kids would dream to be a pro tennis player and uh, having uh, uh, players of that caliber and having the opportunity to have worked with these type of players uh, is, is, is huge. Uh, in both spectrums, huge for me to be proud of them, but it's also bigger for the other kids that I get a chance to coach and help them go in a similar direction. I love it. Well, I urge everybody to check the show notes on parentingaces.com. I will have Zibu's contact info there and also a link to his Instagram where he posts lots of videos of the kids he works with. And um, God love those kids for being out on that red clay with you, Zibu. <laughs> I brought, I brought Europe to the U.S. <laughs> you did. You did. And it's awesome. Thanks again for, for joining us. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you soon. And to our listeners and viewers, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.